couple words for us this morning. Foreigner, alien, exile, immigrant. These are words that Peter uses describing those who love Jesus and follow Jesus. He says, if you love Jesus and follow Jesus, you are a citizen of a different place, a different land. You're a citizen of heaven. To those of us who follow Jesus, he says, our ultimate allegiance is not to our nation, is not to our family, is not to our race or ethnicity. Our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus and the kingdom of heaven. So he calls us these words, exiles, aliens, foreigners. And he says to all of us who live here, even though we're waiting to go home, because as you live here, waiting to go back home, he says, you must live your lives with excellent conduct before the Gentiles. You must live your life with excellent behavior before the unbelievers. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So Peter says, listen, you have to live out there in the world amongst all these people who don't know God, love God, care about God. And when you do, your life is your message. Your life is your sermon. And if you live your life in a certain kind of way, it will help people see that God is real. So then Peter applies this principle to three different areas. Peter says... Peter says essentially that living an excellent life, having excellent conduct, he says first, well, he says that excellent conduct is essentially learning to live in submission to authority, which is tough. Submit to it. That his whole thing is saying we must submit to authorities, which for Americans is hard. We are not a submitting people. What's that state with the license plate? Live free or die? Is that Maryland? New Hampshire? That's crazy in New Hampshire, man. Live free or die. That's what they say. But he says you must live in uh, submission to the government. You must live in submission to your workplace. And this last one, you must live in submission to your own household. Now listen. Before we jump into this, let me say a few things. One, I know everybody here is not married. Okay? I know that. Some of us here are divorced. Some of us here want to be married and we're not. We have widowers among us. We have the young. So we have people who are not married. But I would tell everyone that is here, even if you're not married, Listen to the guidance and the wisdom God has for us today when it comes to this thing called marriage. So I want to start, i got to start with a foundation. Before we go to any of the teaching of Peter, we must say something up front, and that's this. I want to say this to begin with. Marriage is good. I want to start there. Marriage is a good thing. We live in a, in a world, a society, that doesn't like marriage anymore, that talks a lot of trash on marriage. Like... People tell me all the time things like, well, pastor, I love them, they love me, why do I need a piece of paper to make it official? People say this to me all the time, but here's the reality of things. 
Making the covenant before God matters. Standing before God and neighbor. And making the promise to God. What do we say? Sickness and in health, richer or poorer. This covenant, this promise we make for the Lord, it means something. That promise matters. And our, I know our society and our culture says it's no big deal. It matters to God. Marriage is good. Not only is it good, listen, I'll say this about this. There is a book I'm reading in my office right now. This book I'm reading is by an unbeliever, someone who's not a Christian, someone who doesn't love Jesus, doesn't believe in God, an unbeliever. And this unbeliever says, well, this unbeliever has done research. And this research they're doing, this lady is a sociologist, and she essentially is, she worked in, um, she worked in a place for battered women. And so this woman worked in a place where women wouldn't come from abusive relationships, right? She'd come into these things. And so she began to do all this data compilation of domestic violence in America from all these major cities in America, gathered all this, gathered all this data. And from all her research, she came to a very surprising conclusion. Remember, not a Christian, not a believer in God. This lady said, in the last, I have her book in my office right now. She said, marriage is good for women and children. How crazy is that? This is not a Christian. Some random ladies like, I did all the research, and what I found is that marriage protects the vulnerable. God's idea of marriage is a good idea. When God first made everything, when he made creation, heaven and earth, he put Man and woman in the garden, and he said, and a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a good thing. It's a gift from God. People always talk about marriage like what, the old ball and chain? There's the old jokes in every movie when there's someone's getting married, there's always some, like, some best friend up there, some best man saying, go ahead and run away, dude's not too late. I was at a wedding where the wedding coordinator, the entire wedding, the coordinator was the whole time going, if you leave, I'll cover for you. I mean, literally, we're up there. It's like the bride's about to come down. It's me and the groom. I'm the preacher with the Bible. The groom's right there. And the, the, the stinking um, coordinator up the side, the coordinator goes, it's not too late. I'm like, what are you doing, lady? Shit. But people talk this trash. People talk this in weddings all the time. And here's the deal. Even though our society looks down on marriage, God gave us marriage. Marriage is good. But what our society says marriage is, is completely wrong. Our society tells us that marriage will fix me. That if I find the right person and I marry them, they find the right puzzle piece and I'll put them in, the, put them in my life and my life will be magically made better. Here's a problem. When you marry someone, who you are comes into the marriage. Whatever stuff you got, you bring with you. So the dude brings his dysfunction, the lady brings her dysfunction, and between these two dysfunctions is birthed a new dysfunction. It doesn't, it's tough, okay? You gotta understand, getting married doesn't automatically make life easy. It doesn't. Marriage can be the Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Marriage can be heaven. 
Bible also says it is better to dwell on the corner of a rooftop than to live in a house with a contentious woman. Which means marriage can also be hell. So it, it can be either thing. It can be awesome or it can be terrible. And we all know this. I, I was talking to some young people on the phone the other day. Some, uh, one of my junior high kids who's now an adult. Been dating, he's been dating a girl for a long time. They lived together. And we're talking, and he says, you know, Pastor, we talk about marriage sometimes, but we don't want to get married. I'm like, what's going on? I'm not pressuring him. I'm just asking him. He goes, I see so many bad marriages. My family has a bad marriage. Her family has a broken marriage. We're afraid if we get married, it'll, like, make it harder or something. So they don't do it. There's so, we've seen so much bad examples of bad marriages. We're afraid of it. But it's not a bad thing. Marriage is supposed to be good. He's not here so I can embarrass him. Um, Mr. Sparkman, his, his wife was sick in the hospital and she was in critical condition. And he sat there at the hospital with her every day, holding her hand, talking to her. Because they say when you're like in a coma, people can hear you. You've heard that before? Like when you're underneath, when you're, even though you're in a coma and you're under like the things, you can still hear things. And he would just talk to her. And he was there because he loved his wife. I look at that and I'm like, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. So marriage is a good thing. Now, Paul, Peter is going to tell us how to do it right, though. We go to Peter 3, verse 1. In the same way, you wives, be subject to your own husbands. Stop right there. Here we go. Here we go. Peter tells everyone, be subject to the king. Then he says, be subject to your employers. And now he says, wives, be subject to your husbands. Now I'm not, I said this last service, I'll say it again. I'm not as dumb as I look. <laughs> I, uh, I've learned some things in this life. So I've decided that the best person to talk about, about, about two women, about being a wife, is a wife. So I'm asking my wife to come and share a little bit about what it means to honor God in marriage as a wife. Just so you know, I didn't write this speech for her. I literally, all I said to her was, baby, we're in 1 Peter 3. Can you do the hard part? Sure. <laughs> That's all I asked her to do. And this is what she came up with. So, darling. <laughs> so here we go. This is the hard part. Um, I'm going to read the first two verses again. We'll start there. So, three, verse one. Wives, in the same way, be submissive. Sorry, I'm reading the wrong version. I'm going to read the, the one you have. In the same way, you wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives as they observe your pure conduct with fear. Let's go to that phrase. If any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won, or some versions say won over, without a word. Without a word. That's hard. <laughs> this implies that the submissive wife knows when to hold her tongue. It speaks of the quiet spirit that is mentioned a few verses later. That means 
a godly wife is not always nagging, not always criticizing, not harsh. She doesn't always correct her husband. Now, um, this doesn't mean, of course, that there aren't times to bring things up and communicate and have the hard conversations, but there are times to lay down our right to be right. I don't know about you guys, but in my house, I think that I know the right way to do things, and sometimes I want to let everybody else know this is the right way. Um, sometimes it's just my way. Sometimes, um, even if I think it's right, I don't always have to assert that right. Um, and it also says, even when they do not obey the word. So it's not just when you think you're right about something petty, but even if the other person is being disobedient to the word and they are sinning. You may feel that you are being wronged. You may feel that you are not being treated fairly. And when that happens, we trust the Holy Spirit to do his work. There are times, you guys have probably heard some of the stories, there have been times that I didn't feel I was being treated fairly. And when that happens, I don't always maybe sometimes, but don't always set him straight because I am not his Holy Spirit. I take it to the Lord and I let him deal with it. Honestly, he knows better how to deal with this guy than I do anyway. But <laughs> it's true. But it's not my job. Oh, it's dear. true. And listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interject right here, babe. Okay. Um, I'm grateful that our early, when we first got married, when we first got married, I brought a lot of dysfunction into our marriage. I was, um, I had not, I still had a lot of the bad things in me when I got married. I didn't even know they were there. You know what I'm saying? I was young enough where I didn't know how messed up I really was. And I'm so grateful to God that even when I was a fool, my wife didn't give me my attitude right back to me. Instead, she prayed to the Lord. Lord, deal with my husband. And listen, if you mean her fight, that's going to be a war. If I fight the Lord, I'm going to lose that fight every time. When she gave me to the Lord, the Lord was like, da -da -da! and he won. And he shaped my heart into who I'm supposed to be. And I'm grateful that she, that's not easy though, but you can finish. I'm just, I'm just sorry, yeah. <laughs> it's not easy. Win them without a word. So that part is hard, but then we're going to move on. As they observe your pure conduct. Pure conduct seems to me to speak of motivation, like pure motives. It's not just right conduct. It's not just. It says pure. And pure conduct comes from a pure heart. Um, our motives are pure when we remember that our submission is to the Lord. It mentions earlier in this passage that we've been talking about in 1 Peter 2.13. It says, be subject for the sake of the Lord to every institution ordained for people. It's for the Lord's sake. It's not to win the fight. It's not to manipulate. These are not pure motives. It's not to get our way. It's not to spite him. It's for the Lord. And when he is our audience, that also means that our behavior should be consistent because it's not dependent on the person that we're responding to. Even when we may feel that our husband isn't deserving of that respect. It says, even if they are disobedient, it's not because he deserves it. It's not even just because 
I want to be a submissive wife. It's because I'm a follower of Jesus, and I have to die to myself. So if our reverence is to the Lord above all, then respecting our husbands shows that we honor God. Um, as it says in chapter 2, verse 12, they may, because of your good works, glorify God. So your submission is a sermon to your husband, but also to the world. And it can speak powerfully of your submission to the Lord. Thank you so much, darling. Now, what she's describing, imagine that. Imagine you're married and your husband is just, is incentive to one time, I'll tell you this, I forgot our anniversary one time. Forgot it, just, I mean, gone. Like, didn't, like, no pretending, I forgot. Like, I mean, that's bad. Like, was it five, six, ten? Six or seven. Look, literally, I go up, so we're, we're, we're traveling the country, preaching all over America, going to, we're going to go to India, and I, we're staying in this little room at her parents' house. We go, I go into our room, and there's a little package with my name on it, like a little bag, a gift bag. And I look, my name, and I'm like, a gift bag. And I'm literally going, it's not my birthday? It's not. I, what am I? So I literally come out and I'm like, babe, I saw a gift bag for me up there. She goes, yeah. I'm like, what's that for? It's not my birthday or nothing. She just looks at me. She's like, it's our anniversary. And I, like, I gave away the farm. I'm like, I, I just, it was, you listen. Imagine, imagine your husband forget your anniversary. How you'd feel. You'd feel what? Unloved, unappreciated. You'd feel a lot of feelings, right? She never, ever threw it at me one time. That's a free win for a lot of fights, right? We're going to fight about something. Anniversary. I'm sorry, baby. You win, baby. I'm sorry. She, she took that that hurt. And she, instead of throwing it at me, chose Lord. She said, Lord, take care of my husband. And it says here, you win them without a word. Listen, that's hard. There's two ways it can be looked at. One, you win your husband's heart without a word. But it also can mean you win your husband to the Lord. I knew this lady down in Oakland County. She was on a radio station. She was, I didn't like her as a DJ, but she was a DJ at a Christian radio station. Really like Jesus-y and flowery, and I don't, I don't like her. I, I just didn't like her show. I didn't like her show. I didn't, she's fine. Well, I heard her speak one day, and I was like, I don't want to hear her speak, but I was at a, a, a fundraiser, so I had to listen to her. And she said how she was married for like 20 years, and her husband was not a believer in Christ, and he was a bear of a man. And she stayed with him and just prayed for him and loved him and prayed for him and loved him. After 20 years, that guy turned to Jesus. And I'm like, woman, saint, saint, saint. She won him. She won him to the Lord with her, with her just her excellent conduct. Now, it says in verse, now how, how would you do this? How could you possibly take being hurt and not respond with the same anger and vitriol. It says, your adornment must not merely be external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, not putting on garments. Listen, it doesn't mean, some Christians say, well, that means you can't braid your hair or wear jewelry. Not what it's saying. It's saying for ladies, a lot of ladies want to look nice, so they wear nice things, right? Like, and I'm glad that when we go out, go out my wife dresses up nice and looks good, it makes me happy. You know, we look nice and go out and do nice things together. 
But it says a woman's beauty is not just how she's on the outside, but who she is on the inside. It says, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible quality of a lowly and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of, the, of God. That means if you want to be this kind of wife, you have to be close to Jesus. You have to be, you have to entrust yourself to Christ with such faith, knowing, you know what? My husband doesn't love me the way I want to be loved. But Lord, because you called me in this marriage, I am going to stay. So there's, a, there's every day, there's a certain time of day I don't call Angie. I call Angie a lot when I'm driving around. I'll just call her, check in, make sure things are okay, tell her crazy stories from my day. But I don't call a certain time because I know that there's a certain time of day where she has her devotions. She has her time for Bible reading, prayer, and rest. And listen, that's not her being lazy. I'm not, I don't say to her, man, baby, you need to do less uh, devotion time and more laundry time. I don't say that. You know what I'm saying? That's brutal. I don't call because I know that what she's doing in that devotional hour it's why our kids are who they are. It's why our home is what it is. Because she is working on the inner part of her heart. She's drawing you to Jesus so that she can entrust herself to God even when her husband and children are butts. Straight up. Now, he tells us in this passage, consider Sarah, who was also submissive to Abraham. It says, be like, be like Sarah. I think it's the verse 7. So, marriage is good. Point two, wives are called to submit to their husbands. And point number three, this is where I want to, this is where my wife said that, and I'm going to say this. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life that your prayers will not be hindered. Point number three is this. Husbands are called to submit to their wives. It's not a one-way street. For a long time, the church would just, just always tell ladies, you need to submit, be submissive in the home. But every time you see that commandment, every time, it is always paired with a teaching for the husbands. Every time. Here it says, in the same way, husbands, in the same way that she's called to submit, you're called to submit. He says this. Live with your wives in an understanding way. In understand, this, this word, an understanding way, it's the word, the word understanding is often it's used in the sentences. They'll say, sometimes say in the Bible, and he knew his wife, and they became pregnant. That word know, it means intimate knowledge of. Live with your wives in an intimate way, in a gentle way, in a loving way. Now, here's the fact of the matter. A lot of husbands do not live with their wives in a gentle way. Why husbands can be gruff and grouchy and bullies and mean. And it says this, listen, it says this. You live with your wives in a gentle way as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman. Now this, people are like, what does that mean, weaker vessel? This is what it means. 
In America, in the whole world, because you don't know this, domestic violence, 99% of the time, is done from a man to a woman, isn't it? That's what it is. Domestic violence in the world is primarily male to female. Let me say this for free. Kids, listen to me. If you're not married or not, listen. A man should never physically assault or hurt a woman. There's no reason. And one time I came home beat up. My mom was, what happened? I'm like, I beat up. She's like, was he bigger than you? I'm like, no. Like, what happened? I'm like, it was a girl. And mom, you said I could fight back. She said, what'd you do? I'm like, I just stood there and got beat up. She's like, you can run away. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, what do you want me to do? I was like, my, 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 like, my program broke. I'm like, can't hit back, getting beat up. Ah, it's, it's what it was. But listen, even though some Christian men have not hit their wives or thrown a plate across the room, men often, when they get upset or angry, can get this gruff, grumpy, angry thing. And that angry thing can make their wives scared to engage them, scared to talk to them. It can intimidate their wives. And men, we cannot live this way. We cannot bully our wives with our pouting temper. We can't. When we were first talking, my wife and I, we were engaged. I was in college in Chicago. She came to see me. We... She was, it was finals week, and she was ready to leave to drive back, and I was going to go study up in my room. I went up to my room. We were, we're in the middle of a fight, though, so I go up to my room, and we're, we're arguing. I go to my room, look out the window. I see her car down in the parking lot, and I realize she's down there crying because we're in a fight. I had to go down there, and I got to talk to her and say I'm sorry, and we got to, like, got to listen to her feelings, all these things. Sorry, babe, I'm just saying. I'm like... It's going to be about 30 minutes of sorry, 30 minutes of repair that she'll leave in about an hour. I'm like, it'll be 11 o'clock. I'm just like, man, I'm starting my studying late tonight. So I'm all upset about it. So I call her on my landline because back in the day before cell phones, we had phones on the wall. I dial her. And I'm like, hey, you downstairs? Yeah, I'll come down and talk to you. I hang up the phone. Now, those old, those old handsets on the wall are great for slamming a phone down. Just ding! It just felt so good. Um, so I hang up the phone. I hang it up again. I hang it up again. And then I lose my mind. I started slamming that phone into the cradle until the thing in my hand broke and I got made me more mad. I started punching the thing on the wall. I punched it until it was like in pieces on the floor. My hand was bleeding because the plastic splintered. So I took a sock and I wrapped my hand in it. I went downstairs, got in the car. I'm like, hey, babe. She's like, I try to call you back. I'm like, well, you can't. So what happened? I told the story. I broke this phone. I punched it to death. <laughs> and she, oh, she went from being sad and emotional to being wise and strong in a second. And she said to me these words. She said, if I ever saw you lose your temper like that, I would be afraid of you. Of all the things she could have said to me, nothing could have shaken me awake like that. 
See, I'm a man who has battled anger my whole life. Every, me and all my brothers have all had the infamous boxer break. If you ever punch a wall too hard, it breaks two bones in your hand. It's called a boxer break. We've all done it, all three of us, because we're all stupid. Punching a wall is a stupid thing to do. In case you don't know this, stupid thing to do. I've been a very angry man my whole life. And here's the deal. I grew up, my mom's been married three times. Four? Four times. And growing up, I remember my mom would date guys or marry guys who were very violent men. I remember being a little kid hiding in my room, scared so bad. And I swore to myself, if I ever am a father or a husband, I will not be like this monster in my living room. And guess what? It was happening. Did I want this woman who I loved to fear me when I pouted because I'm a thinking oversized infant? And men do this. Men, we pout, we slam things, and the women who love us are afraid of us. Live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel. Because here's the fact of the matter. Most of the time, men are bigger and stronger than women. So we're called to be gentle with the people in our lives and home. And it says, show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Meaning, she is an equal in this path, in this generally walk. Our wives are our equals on the path of grace. Listen to this, this last part of the craziest. It says this. So that your prayers will not be hindered. So that your prayers will be hindered. The, the implication here is if you are a brutal husband, a bullying husband, a harsh husband, how you treat your wife can become an obstacle to your relationship with the Lord. Remember what Christ said? Christ said, you come to the temple, leave an offering. And remember you have sinned with someone else. You leave the gift of the offering, go to the person, make it right, and then come back to the temple. I remember one day I was, I, when I was a teenager, I was at summer camp. And at summer camp, if you're in high school, you go to camp, you sing songs, you cry, you dedicate your life to Jesus again, you rededicate your life. I was at camp, I was getting my Jesus on, I was crying, I was singing, I was going to the altar. And in the middle of one of the singing times, I had this, this, the Lord whispered. I'm like 15, 16 years old. The Lord just goes, I'm, I'm just, I'm in my prayer life, I'm like, Lord, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to preach. I'm, gonna, I'm just saying all these promises and everything. And the Lord just goes, Vanessa, you treat your mom terribly. I'm like, what? Like, Lord, she ain't here. What do you want from me? And the Lord was like, you talk all this big stuff, but the most important person in your life at home, you treat terribly. Go deal with that, and come tell me what you can do with this, with this life. I'm all right, I went home on the bus, and I went home to my mama. I walked in, I'm like, Mama, I'm sorry, I've been such a bad son. And to this day, we're best friends. If you are a harsh husband, you have to go to your wife and say you're sorry. And you've got to work on yourself. Because it's not, it's not okay for our wives to live in fear. It's not okay. God says no. Now, if you're here not married, listen to me. 
verse 8. To sum it up, all of you, to sum it up, all of you, unmarried, married, divorced, separated, whatever you are, widowed, whatever you are, it says this, all of you, be like-minded, sympathetic, brotherly, tender-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. If you are a Christ follower, you have been called to submit your life for the sake of others. You've been called when you are cursed to give a blessing in return. In these hard streets, we're called to react, not with the same venom that everyone else has. People might give the venom or the awful, and as followers of Christ, we don't give it back. We don't keep this sinful, awful ball bouncing. We stop it. We are, we end the cycle of hate. That's who we are. We stop I was in the movie theater when Avengers Endgame came out. Remember Avengers Endgame? I'm going to spoil it for you if you've not seen it. I'm sorry. At the end of Avengers Endgame, I'm not going to spoil it. I won't spoil it. It's too bad. Avengers Endgame, one of the main characters dies. Dun, dun, dun. I'm there with me, my wife, my kids. And my son loves superheroes. He had been counting down Endgame for months. We literally watched every Marvel movie preparing for Endgame together. It was like we watched 22 movies in 25 days. That's like a feat. We, that was like a quest. We, and we did it. So we're there. And this young kid, young teenage kid, is there with his buddies playing the fool. And he spoils the movie before it happens. That guy's going to die! Yells it out. Now I'm mad. You're ruining this movie for all of us. Movie ends, and part of me wants to fight somebody. Because I, I grew up in Flint, and there's a sinful person inside of me. But the other part of me was like, Ernesto, you love this kid. So I go over to him, I introduce myself. Hey, man, my name's Ernesto, I'm a pastor. What's your name? He's like, uh, my name's so-and-so. I'm like, listen, I kind of come close. I don't want to get bears in front of his boys. I'm like, hey, listen. I'm like, my son waited for this movie for a long time. And you played the fool today and you ruined the movie for him, man. I just want you to know, next time you come to the movie, don't be this way. You don't got to do this. You're, you're a cool guy. You don't got to do this to be cool. You doing this hurts other people. You cool? He goes, yeah, man. I'm like, all right, bet. Talk to you later. Now, in that moment, we had some friends with us. And one of my friends, who's not a Christian, watched that whole thing happen. And we're leaving. And that friend was like, that was amazing. I didn't know. I wasn't doing it for them. I was doing it for the Lord. But they're like, "Wow, it's this. This Jesus thing is a real thing. You loved a guy who messed up your movie. You didn't react to him with the hate. You reacted to him with instead with love and care. And where does that come from? It comes from Jesus. So listen. It doesn't matter if you're married or not married. We're all called to live humble lives of submission. Listen." You're here and you're living in foolish sin. <clears throat> Obey the king. Cut it out. Your sin is killing you. It's hurting your family. 
It's hurting the world. It's hurting the Lord. If you are truly a Christ follower, you must die to self. That's all that marriage is. All marriage is, is choosing to die to self every single day. How fun does that sound? That's what marriage is. She dies for me, I die for her, and it makes our home a beautiful place. Because if I don't die, that house gets real ugly real fast. If she don't die, it gets real ugly real fast. We, but if we both die, that house is full of love and grace and goodness. Marriage is a call to die. Because every believer in Christ is called to die for the sake of Jesus. Why? So others may hear his name and see your lives and believe in him. So everybody, married, single, whatever you are, Jesus is awesome. Obey your king that others may see him and know him. With that said, let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the day. I love you very much, Jesus. I'd ask that uh, in this room, there's probably guilt floating around. Guilt at past failures. You tell us in your word there's two kinds of guilt, Lord. There is worldly guilt that leads to just death and godly guilt that leads to repentance. Let the guilt we feel today lead us to make a change. Let the husbands and the wives reach across to their spouses and say, I'm sorry and I love you. Let us not just feel bad, let us make a change. Because step one towards another so that even if it might have been bad yesterday, maybe the future can be beautiful and good and godly. So Lord, we love you. We need you. We thank you. In Christ's name we ask all these things. Amen.